Kia ora and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by Mercy Ascot. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler and today I'm talking to Mr. Indram Ramanatham about hyperhidrosis or excessive sweating. Indram completed his undergraduate training in Sydney, Australia and then went on to gain fellowship in surgery in 2006 with a cardiothoracic specialisation. He is working both at Auckland City Hospital and Mercy Ascot, where hyperhidrosis is one of the many surgeries that he performs. Welcome, Indram. Hey, thank you, Louise. Thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be here and to talk about this important issue. So thank you. So today we're going to use a case to demonstrate pertinent points. So Simon is a 28-year-old man. He is well, but presents to you his primary care provider seeking advice about a personal issue. On further questioning, Simon reveals that since puberty, he has suffered from excessive sweating. He was bullied at school, he's been overlooked for jobs, and feels that people judge him unnecessarily. He has never been in a long-term relationship. The issue is made worse at times of stress, but he has daily issues, and he showers three times a day, which includes changing his clothes at lunchtime. To date, he tells you he's tried aluminium-based antiperspirants, crystal rocks, talcs, and foot powders, but nothing seems to work. His question to you today is what can be done to manage or even cure his issue? So Indram, tricky case, but uh, sounds like hyperhidrosis. Can you start with a definition for our listeners, please? Yes, absolutely. I mean, hyperhidrosis is excessive sweating beyond what is physiologically normal. So if you're running or you are uh, working in the gym or whatever, and uh, you're sweating profusely, that's consistent with the um, body's requirement to thermoregulate. When it's inconsistent with that requirement, then you have hyperhidrosis, and certainly uh, this patient has excessive sweating for his environment and his activity. Uh, I think what is required is to differentiate from primary and secondary hyperhidrosis. Uh, primary hyperhidrosis is hyperhidrosis that is unto itself. There's no uh, secondary cause. Secondary hyperhidrosis is, is caused by an underlying, another underlying medical problem. These are usually very obvious, and um, they don't usually present as hyperhidrosis, in fact. And they're things like fever and um, cardiorespiratory issues like that would normally account for shortness of breath or even having a myocardial infarction that can obviously uh, cause severe hyperhidrosis, but that's not the uh, underlying issue. Um, in, in Paul's case. Uh, so in Paul's case, he's likely got primary hyperhidrosis because he's so young. It's actually a very common presentation. that Someone's been suffering it for it for many, many years and, uh, and they only come, uh, you know, after, after quite a long time to uh, discuss it. Now, it would be important just to understand where his, um, his problem lies anatomically. So that would usually be axillary and palmar hyperhidrosis. Sometimes it would be plantar as well. Some patients who have generalised hyperhidrosis uh, and they really can't pinpoint one part or more that's more problematic than another uh, is very unusual. It's mostly confined to the axilla and to the palms um, and, and often the soles as well. So that, that would be the first step is uh, just to identify. So it is a condition that we see from time to time in primary care. And, but I think as we've seen with our case, people often suffer in silence. So how common do you think this condition is? And is there a particular patient it seems to affect more than others? It is astonishingly common. It uh, occurs in about 1% to 3% of the population. 
less than half of uh, patients report it to the general practitioner. 90% is this primary hyperhidrosis, and uh, a third report it as barely tolerable. So, so it's a very significant problem in up to 1% of patients that we uh, see. What's the pathophysiology that's going on here? It's uh, excess sympathetic activity, and it's excess sympathetic activity from the uh, sympathetic chain which resides in the chest. That leads to increased sweating from, um, from the sweat glands in the axilla and the palms that is uh, acetylcholine-mediated. But the underlying problem is excess sympathetic activity. And Indra, you mentioned secondary causes. So what particular important secondary causes do we need to exclude and what sort of investigation should we be thinking about? I think probably the only real uh, thing that needs to be excluded is um, uh, is hyper uh, hypothyroidism, and and maybe maybe uh, thyroid function tests would, would suffice there, and uh, clinical examination. Or if on clinical examination you don't uh, think the patient's hyperthyroid, then it's a clear diagnosis of primary hyper primary um, uh, hyperhidrosis. The other causes are very obvious, like respiratory failure, heart failure, uh, sepsis. It's not something that you would see. Occasionally, patients will have medications that can cause uh, hyperhidrosis. There are things like antidepressants, um, medications like tamoxifen and Viagra. Uh, they can sometimes cause uh, hyperhidrosis. And, and how you manage those is, um, is the same, actually, because those medications often can't be uh, discontinued easily. So sometimes it's useful uh, to have a rating scale to sort of quantify the extent of the problem. Is there a rating scale that you use in this condition? Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's lots of rating scales for all sorts of things. And um, I think this is a very straightforward one uh, for hyperhidrosis. It basically goes from patients who don't have a problem with sweating, who uh, have a problem sometimes, it affects their daily activities, to one that it frequently, and, and then finally to severely affects their daily activities. So it's probably just more of a framework on how you think about the patients rather than a strict rating scale. Of, uh, and and it's, it's a subjective thing. It's based on patient symptoms and that's not really um, uh, much more beyond that. So if the patients have severe symptoms with a significant impact on their life, then that's the, um, that's, that's the most significant um, thing to discern uh, from the history of physical examination and, and the rating scale we just referred. So you mentioned uh, physical examination. So what specifically are we looking for when we're examining our patients? Look, I mean, obviously the, uh, the exam answer there is to, to exclude all the secondary causes, but like, like I said, they're pretty, it's pretty uncommon to find those secondary causes. And uh, the physical examination really doesn't uh, help you a great deal, really. I mean, basically it can, it can give you an understanding of how significant their sweating is. Often, even when you shake your hands, they'll be drying their hands before they want to shake your hand. So they won't want you to look into their axilla and uh, it'll be clearly uh, moist in there as well and, and their hands will be sweaty. Um, and there's really not much more to it. So what about investigations? Obviously, you've mentioned hypothyroidism. So in that case, some TSH perhaps may be useful. Is there anything else that we should consider? No, not really. I mean, I think it's, it's basically a clinical diagnosis. And uh, if the clinical diagnosis doesn't, it's, it doesn't reveal any... Uh, secondary cause which you may be suspicious for and most of these patients are very young and it's very unlikely they do have a secondary diagnosis and no further uh, investigation is required. So we're thinking our chap has primary hyperhidrosis so what are the management options and when we're discussing these 
the pluses and minuses of each one and potential right. adverse effects, please. Sure, sure. So, look, basically, I mean, you can break those down into a topical medication, an oral medication, and, and then probably a surgical intervention. There are a couple of other things there which I'll touch on as well. But they're, they're the main ones, topical, oral, surgical. And, and that fits in well with our severity as well. So if they're milder symptoms, you might look at more topical. Uh, you might persist with the topical treatment uh, for longer. With more severe symptoms, you'd be pushing towards a surgical intervention earlier. Now, in, in this gentleman, it's always reasonable to try uh, a topical antiperspirant. Uh, patients have to be aware there's a difference between an antiperspirant and a deodorant, and uh, they need to actually buy an antiperspirant. There is a prescription one available, or, uh, which you can get at the chemist, which is an aluminium-based. It's got a 20% aluminium chloride concentration. That's the most effective one. That will uh, form a, a complex with the um, with uh, mucopolysaccharides and obstruct the sweat gland, so it doesn't. Uh, so the sweating is significantly reduced. That's called dry chlor. So number one, topical dry chlor, and that can be applied all over the body. It is important that it um, goes onto dry skin. The patients have to have a shower first, dry off thoroughly, put the dry chlor on. If it goes onto wet skin, the aluminium chloride becomes hydrochloric acid and it can um, be very irritant of the skin. So uh, that's, that's very important. If it goes onto dry skin, second line of uh, treatment or is oral medication. Now, the oral medications are basically anticholinergics. So if someone has generalized sweating, um, you can try oxybutynin, uh, would be five milligrams a day. Uh, and that's probably a dose which is uh, reasonably well tolerated. There are a lot of side effects with uh, anticholinergics as they are a very uh, blunt uh, tool, really, and people can get blurry vision, dry mouth, all those sort of things, and, and they are common, not well tolerated. Uh, but, um, but yeah, that would be something to try as well, and if a patient has a good response with that, um, that's fantastic. And finally, and the other option is to have, to have surgery. Now, surgery is a thoracoscopic sympathetectomy. It divides the sympathetic chain, which is where the uh, sympathetic outflow to the axilla and to the hands are, and it's incredibly effective. It's the most effective treatment. And, uh, and these days we do it endoscopically through a one, one and a half centimeter incision just in the axilla. And uh, it's usually a day procedure, although patients can stay in the night if they want to. And uh, it's very, very effective. And when it was an open procedure, it used to be a little bit more painful, obviously. And the procedure has evolved to just dividing the sympathetic trunk in a couple of areas rather than excising it. So in all honesty now, it should be called a sympathotomy rather than a sympathectomy because we're not actually cutting it out. And that has reduced a lot of the complications like Warner syndrome, compensatory hyperhidrosis and, uh, and things like that. So it is a very effective and very safe uh, procedure. And, and, and it is something which you should probably try earlier in people who are severe and, uh, and later in people who, uh, who are less severe and, uh, and have had a failure of uh, an intolerance to uh, either topical or oral medication. Often our patients, when they're going forward to surgery, want to know how much time they will have to take off work. And often they will come back to us and ask about uh, adverse effects. So I wonder if you could comment on those two things. Yeah, look, look that's, a, that's a really pertinent question. I mean, if, if they wanted to return to work quickly, they could do so uh, in a few days, in a few days to a week. It, it really, it's really very uh, minimally invasive. It's not terribly painful. It's less painful than uh, other uh, 
uh, non-medical non-medical approaches um, to hyperhidrosis. Uh, and look, the patient would be able to return to work in a few days. In terms of the risks, I mean, some of the risks are based on the older operation, the sympathectomy, where we're cutting out the, the chain. And that's often quoted as compensatory hyperhidrosis elsewhere because the body still requires thermoregulate. And that number is decreasing all the time and probably it's probably in the order of one to maybe one, one to three percent chance of that. There's a small um, chance of, of Borner syndrome. Again, that's less as we are uh, fine-tuning the operation. And uh, so there's less, uh, it's very uncommon. A lot of series have zero Borner syndrome, but uh, that's potential risk. And uh, I mean, there, there would be a risk of the other things, infections, hemothorax, very unlikely, but could happen often. So Andrea, you've mentioned a number of management options. I have had patients ask me about a, another couple. So iontophoresis and Botox are other things that I've been asked about. I wonder if you can comment about those things for us, please. Both those procedures are available for hyperhidrosis. They are not funded in either the public system or in the private sector uh, by health insurance. Um, iontophoresis involves putting the hands in a, in a bath of uh, salty water and applying electric current through that. And that's done several times uh, a week initially and then maybe once a week. And that's shown in some papers to reduce uh, hyperhidrosis. The mechanism for that is, um, is difficult to understand exactly what's happening there. Uh, but, you know, uh, the patients would need to buy that uh, equipment, which is, which is only a few hundred dollars, uh, and they'd need to devote, I think it's about 30 minutes a day uh, to doing that. It doesn't seem to provide a lasting benefit. The patients would require to keep on doing that to try and achieve uh, a result with that. So it doesn't seem to be a long-lasting solution for, for a young patient. It can only work on the hands. It doesn't work elsewhere. The other botulinum toxin, botulinum toxin is, is reasonably effective, but it does wear off. And uh, you require a lot, quite a significant number of injections in both palms, both axillae. It is... Uh, painful, I suppose. It's also uh, relatively expensive because, again, it does wear off and it is required to be repeated uh, after several months, probably three months, three to six months, and then uh, it'd be required to be repeated. There's another another one as well called um, Mirror Dry. Mirror Dry is another, uh, like a laser procedure. And that actually, you know, we've seen patients after that um, and uh, there's a lot of bruising, a lot of swelling, that's uh, local anaesthetic is infiltrated into the axilla. It's only for the axilla. And uh, I, I think it's a laser is uh, used to ablate the, uh, the sweat glands in the, in the skin there. And uh, I, mean, that's, um, I think that's also available, but it's not, again, it's not funded. And it's roughly the same cost as a surgical procedure if you're going to self-fund it. Great. Thank you for clarifying that. So at what point would you like to be seeing these patients or should we be referring on? Oh, look, I mean, um, I mean, obviously, we're happy to see them at any stage, but I think uh, ones we particularly want to see are ones where there is severe uh, hyperhidrosis, which is in, impacting their daily lives all the time. And the second group is patients who have failed with uh, uh, a topical uh, antiperspirant or oral therapy, and, uh, and, and they wanted to consider uh, a, a long-lasting uh, surgical solution. And, of course, we, we're happy to discuss that option with them. And uh, if it's something that they want to proceed, we'd, we'd be happy to... Uh, uh, trying to take that forward. And again, it's, it's a discussion and, uh, which we'd be more than happy to do. 
And GPs love red flags. Are there any particular red flags that we should have in the back of our mind when somebody presents like our gentleman? Um, that I can think of, actually. I mean, uh, no, I don't think there's too many traps to it. I think it's a, it's a severe problem. It's very common. I think it's actually easily treated. I don't think there's too much to, uh, uh, that, that we do need to be wary of. Great. Thank you for that. So to conclude our podcast today, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners? Look, I think, I think number one, that um, hyperhidrosis is very common and it can be very severe. Patients often don't present with it and they might come in for another reason and, and uh, it's up to, uh, up to us to uncover that they do have significant hyperhidrosis. They might dry their hands before they shake your hand or, or whatever. Um, and I think that's the first thing that's common and it's severe. The second thing is there are lots, lots of treatment options and I think you should work through those. Uh, in most people, topical, oral, and then, and, then, and then an operation. And I think that the, the other real main point is that thoracoscopic sympathectomy is incredibly simple, incredibly safe, incredibly effective. And uh, we probably are doing enough of them for all the patients that, out there that, uh, that I know are suffering from this problem. Uh, it is a very simple and straightforward uh, solution. Thank you, Indram. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you very much, Louise. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim some CPD points for listening to this podcast, please fill in the Reflection of Learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. You'll also find a list of resources used in this podcast, as well as some access for free webinars, med cases, and e-learning modules. Thanks for listening.